Thank you for joining Cyber Center of Excellence for Cyber Insiders. In past episodes, we've talked a lot about cybersecurity from the technical and workforce perspectives, but cybercrime is big business. The FBI reports more than 27.6 billion in cybercrime losses across industries in the past five years. Our five-part series will focus on the business of cybersecurity, including the evolving cybercrime, insurance, legal, banking, and communications landscape. Welcome back to Cyber Insiders. Kevin Danino with you here. And today's episode is going to focus on the business of cybersecurity as it pertains to legal and compliance. Um, we're very excited here to have a great discussion with a nationally recognized cybersecurity and privacy lawyer with us to talk through the rapidly changing cybersecurity legal and compliance landscape. To that end, super pumped to have Randy Sabadu, special counsel at Cooley, on this episode with us today. Randy, welcome to the program. Thank you, Kevin. Good to be here. Good to be back. I love it. Um, I know, Randy, we uh, we we had a, an episode a few a few years ago, if I recall, way back when, um, pre-COVID, if I recall. I think times that's have, right. Times have changed since then. Oh, yes, indeed. All right. Well, um, I think just for a refresher for our listeners too, Randy, why don't you give us um, just a, a, an overview of your kind of current description of your current role and, and background as well? Sure. So um, as already mentioned um, by you, Kevin, I'm special counsel at Cooley. Uh, I'm in our cyber data privacy practice, which is an international practice. I'm based in our DC office. Um, I focus more on the cybersecurity side of things because of my background, but um, tend to do you know a combination of different things in the cyber data privacy space. Um, my you know in a prior life, as I like to tell people, I started out as a crypto engineer at the NSA. Uh, and the, the joke is I started out on one dark side at the NSA as a, a crypto uh, engineer and then went to a darker side, became an attorney years later. But for me, <laughs> and, and to, to your point, the, the world has changed so much in this space. My, my practice has just um, been so interesting. I couldn't have written a better job description. Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, in terms of What's been great about some of these episodes, we've been really kind of focusing on the business side of certain spaces and, you know, last episode really focusing on insurance and clearly when you think of insurance and legal and compliance as it pertains to cybersecurity, there's just so much going on, um, you know, across the board. So I, I really want to start our conversation, if you will, today to kind of talk through what's been going on and, and set the stage, if you will. Um, as well as it pertains to kind of everything in the legal world. So, you know, I, I know the U.S. really doesn't have a, a single federal law that really regulates cybersecurity um, and privacy, unlike the, the EU, which does. And so several states now have their own cybersecurity and data breach notification laws. So I'd love to kind of get your perspective for our listeners out there when it comes to small and medium-sized business owners, who in many cases are the really the majority of unfortunate targets of a lot of these breaches out there how can they really get their arms around what's been going on in the privacy and and cybersecurity requirement side of things well i think the first thing to to think about and that those companies need to think about is you can't simply ignore cyber and privacy um, i think that's a, a strategy that may have worked in the past for for some businesses um, but I think the, the changing landscape that you just described 
um, makes it uh, a strategy that no longer works. And so, you know, just about every organization that's out there is going to have some exposure or another, even if it's not a technology focused business, if it's a, you know, bricks and mortar shop, uh, if they have an internet presence, they're going to have to be concerned with the, the, the laws that exist and, and new ones that are coming down the pike. Um, I think second, you kind of, you have to know what data you have and where it is. Um, in, in the last visit, I, I know that I mentioned um, my favorite movie, Sneakers, uh, with Robert Redford and, and Ben Kingsley as, as two of the main characters. Ben, uh, uh, Robert Redford's a, a white hat hacker. And there's a pivotal scene toward the end where the Ben Kingsley character, um, who's now turned into a, a, you know, a threat actor, a bad actor, uh, but he and Redford are, were friends back in the day. He says to Robert Redford, it's all about the data, Marty. And that's a lot of what these, you know, considerations come down to. What is the data that you have? Where is it? And, and why would it be a target? And then based on that, you, you know, you need to look at what do we do? So take an inventory of your data. And then I would say the third thing is know your system. Um, so you, you've got your data identified as to what's important, what's not, what your system does and how it's configured and, and where it's sort of weaknesses are is something that you also need to focus on. I, when I was at the NSA, I was on the, you know, what I would call the defensive side of the house. I was protecting our stuff, uh, mm -hmm. proactively. And that's how I like talking to clients. I'd much rather talk to a client about doing an assessment for, you know, with something like the, the NIST cybersecurity framework or doing an ISO 27001 um, uh, assessment, um, a SOC 2 type of assessment. You know, look at the things that you have. I, NIST, I, NIST does a good job. They talk about identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. Five very straightforward and, you know, I don't want to oversimplify, but basically uh, easily understood verbs that the C-suite all the way down to the, the IT security professionals can talk the same language. And knowing your system and, again, knowing what the problems are up front and how to fix them is much better than waiting or, or having a, a threat actor get in and then you realize, oh, we've got all these problems. So. That's, those are my thoughts on, you know, how do you deal with these new laws? It's by knowing your system and reacting accordingly. So you've got these new laws and, and appreciate that perspective, you know, and, and in today's world and, and even kind of what we're seeing right now on the Hill relative to kind of potential legislation around topics like generative AI, for example, you know, there's all of this new tech, whether it's AI, IoT, cryptocurrency and various sort of cryptocurrency and blockchain, um, you know, technology networks, et cetera. There's just a lot going on for compliance um, and regulatory markets to, to keep up with. Um, knowing our knowing our listeners skewed to the California side, I'm curious for your perspective too on, on any new legislation that's really going to be out there impacting California-based organizations and businesses as well as it relates to a lot of these new risk and threats out there? I think it's, it's a bit ironic to ask the question that way because California <laughs> tends to be, at least on the privacy side, and, and I think you've done a great job of distinguishing, you know, there's privacy and there's security. And 
they do overlap, but there are differences. And I think, you know, California has been on the cutting edge from a privacy perspective. We're actually at 20 years. So 2003 was when the California law SB 1386 passed that, you know, became the, the California privacy law. And then all of the states eventually followed. Um, it's also ironic 2003 was the first data breach that I handled, but that's, you know, again, that's on the reactive side. Um, mm -hmm. I think from a from a legislative perspective, I, th I think you also make a great point that there's the state laws and the federal laws and, and there are differences. But I do think that I, I still get questions today from clients, you know, wherever their business is about, well, do I have to comply with that, you know, that law in New York? Because my business is here in California, I'm not in New York. And it's like, well, if you've got end customers in New York, that are affected by a data breach, then you know the law applies to you. So it's it, not extraterritorial, but essentially those laws from other states apply to you. So I would say, first of all, all state laws that relate to privacy, the data breach notification laws, you know, would apply to California companies, along with all of the newer laws that are getting passed. Again, California led the way with um, uh, CPRA uh, that are proactively focused, not just data breach notification. They give a lot of rights to data subjects and what data subjects can do and not do um, with respect to their information. So I think that's the first one. Um, next one that I would toss out there, and it's you mentioned sort of specific technologies and laws related to those, and I fully agree. Um, if, if the companies we're talking about are in those spaces. So those laws are not necessarily going to apply to everyone. Um, mm -hmm. But if you're doing, you know, if you're if you're involved in cryptocurrency or whatever, uh, generative AI, there may be laws on the way that would apply to you. Um, there's a federal law out there that has passed. Uh, it's called CERCIA. Um, it's the Cyber Incident Reporting for Critical Infrastructure, and I'm forgetting the A. But <laughs> the basic idea is. If you're a company that is directly or in some cases indirectly, say by contract or, or by some other mechanism involved in critical infrastructure, there's uh, a new law and similar to GDPR, it, it was influenced by laws that already exist internationally. And when we're talking about cyber incident reporting, it is not data breach notification of personal information it's the fact that a, that an entity has suffered a um, a cyber incident, and the whole goal I, I shouldn't say obviously the whole goal is to help protect the critical infrastructure. We are so interconnected. We've heard that over and over again. So if a particular um, you know a particular entity went down, whether it's a a, a utility, a hospital, a a government agency, a a, a, a commercial business that services millions of people, uh, there is a, a goal to sort of force information sharing. Tell us when something happened. Um, I'm going to talk in a second about the SEC law where there's a new four-day rule for public companies. With Circea, it's three days. You have 72 hours to report if you've had a cyber incident. So that's another one. Um, but I'll jump to SEC. So the SEC, it's it's Again, timing-wise, just yesterday, the final SEC rules passed, which require 
there, there's a bunch of requirements. I don't want to go through all of them, but it's all focused on cybersecurity for public companies. And it has, you know, it has to do with things like reporting incidents, reporting your um, sort of your stature, or not your stature, your structure from a uh, cybersecurity policies and procedures perspective. And there's a number of other things that are going to be required now for, for the SEC. Most of them uh, focused on the proactive side of things, but that four-day rule for a breach is, is the big one. Um, mm -hmm. There's a new, earlier this month, a US-EU framework that's actually helpful to US companies because now US companies can, can transfer data more freely. Um, and then there's a number of, of AI laws, um, and a lot of those are more focused on privacy than they are security. But um, those, are, I think, are the main ones. There's probably others I'm missing, but um, in my view, I think those are the ones that are going to affect the, the companies that we're talking about. Got it, and, and appreciate that. And yeah, I mean, I think knowing that the SEC framework and just, you know, the fact that over time, breaches now in many cases are material events impacting the markets and public companies. So it's nice to see a little bit more framework um, just in terms of reporting on that front, um, you know, kind of related to that topic too. I know, you know, particularly the, the last couple of, the, of years, there's been a kind of a spike, if you will, on supply chain um, attacks on a lot of key critical infrastructure. Uh, we've had various episodes in the past, you know, even getting into kind of how farm equipment and agriculture is, in many cases, can be a, a target and considered critical infrastructure. So that third-party risk, though, seems to always have been or becoming more of a major concern. So, you know, are there any recommendations as it pertains to, um, you know, how to really mitigate these risks when you think about technology transactions and, and third parties involved, et cetera? The short answer is yes. Uh, <laughs> slightly longer answer. <laughs> what, what would what would some of those be? Yeah, and I, it's it's kind of uh, funny. May not be the the right descriptor, but um, a lot of us, and I'm sure the same is true for conversations that you've had. Um, a, a lot of us that work in this space, you know, look at this stuff, and it's like we're we're basically saying the same thing today we were saying five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Um, I think the important point you bring up is that when we were talking about these kinds of things 10 years ago, people were like, yeah, whatever, it's not going to affect me. And again, that may have been a reasonable strategy, but because of the proliferation of these, these third-party downstream breaches that are occurring, um, I think it is really important, again, to be proactive. So what can you do? To me, it's kind of like a, a before, during, and after conversation. So before you even bring an entity on board, you know, a third-party service provider, um, go through some kind of process where you understand at, at, at a level of granularity that's good enough for you. And, and that's obviously, a um, you know, something that each company has to determine on their own. But um, figure out what are they doing and is it good enough? Um, and if it is, you know, you still want protection, but if it isn't, you want better protection in your contract, or maybe you want them to change their practices as applied to you, or or maybe you go to a different supplier. Um, so that in that before period, you know, do some sort of cyber questionnaire. Uh, we do this all the time with clients. We sort of tailor a questionnaire based on a company that they're thinking about interacting with, 
And when they get the results back, we sit down and we say, okay, you're going to have liability exposure here, here, and here. This is good. This is good. This, you know, that sort of thing. Um, have a standard attachment to your contracts. Back in the day, we used to have like one, one provision, maybe three or four lines long that talked about both security and privacy. Now we're doing things where we'll have an attachment that may be five, six, seven pages yeah. of rigorous kinds of uh, provisions that the company has to abide by. Now, obviously, this isn't for every single situation, um, but if you're dealing with a, a heavy-duty service provider that's going to be touching all of your, let's say, personal data, third-party personal data, you want pretty good assurances that, that they're doing the right thing. Um, so, and, and then just having those robust contract provisions that go with that. Sort of the during, during the relationship, make sure you do your audits. Make sure you check your certifications. I have been in, I, you know, many situations where a client will have something bad happen with a supplier with their data, and well, we'll we'll say, well, did you? Did you go through and exercise your audit right? You have an annual audit right in here. Did you go in there last year and figure out what they had? And they're like, mm, no, we've never done that. Hmm. So the kinds of things that are basic blocking and tackling that companies haven't been doing, they should think about it. And then and in the after phase, you know, returning data to the company, returning data to your company, or, or asking for some sort of certification or proof that they've destroyed your data. Um, and Great then- point. And then, you know, the last thing is there still is something, there are some things in the physical world these days. So if they have any of your physical um, or IT assets in their shop, you want those returned as well. So just some some thoughts about uh, third-party risk. Well, I, I want to kind of flip things around now, you know, knowing kind of things that business owners, et cetera, can be you know, on the horizon for looking at it just from a legal framework standpoint, as terms of, you know, what lawmakers might have um, on the horizon. And, you know, are there are there any challenges that you see out there that for lawmakers and, and really how can the industry help as it pertains to, to cybersecurity? Well, this is, again, one of those, um, I could say many of us probably sound like broken records <laughs> because yeah. um, when, it, when it comes to the legislative process and when it comes to lawmakers, the, and it's, it's not a dig on them. They've got, you know, tons of different things on their plate besides cybersecurity. But when it comes to cybersecurity specifically, and I think technology more generally, they may be, you know, a mile wide, but an inch deep. They don't understand the nuances. And with a mm -hmm. lot of this stuff, the nuances are critically important. Um, you combine that with the fact that tech, you know, changes very, very quickly. Um, and it's it sort of accelerates over the years. If you think about, um, I don't know, in, in just in my lifetime. Uh, so here in the DC area, we have the Udvar Hazy Center which is an extension of the um, Air and Space Museum down in Washington, D.C. The Udvar Hazy's out by um, uh, Dulles Airport because they needed a lot of room. They have actually an entire uh, uh, entire planes and space shuttles and things like that in there. There's this fascinating display next to the space shuttle where they have a, a console from, I think, like 70 years ago. And 
the technology that we have today in our hands, my son and I figured out just a rough order magnitude, is about 110,000 times more powerful than this huge console that, cons that controlled the, the satellites back in the 60s and early 70s. So when you have technology sort of accelerating that fast and you have the, the types of different things we have now around AI, around cryptocurrency and those sorts of things, it's, it's hard to come up with, with legislation that's going to accurately address the issue, not just today, but a week from now, a month, a year, whatever. So I think that it's not a solution, but one thing that I know people are working on, we have a, a, a gentleman in our shop who is um, you know, always up on Capitol Hill talking to legislators on behalf of clients about these issues. And one of the things that I think, you know, in talking with him, that industry needs to do a better job of doing is looking at doing some forward thinking and looking at the causes and effects of technology and keeping the government informed. Um, I think there are, you know, there are various uh, standards organization, there are various groups that kind of try to keep on top of these things. But I think the overcoming the challenge of communicating to, to lawmakers, it, it can be done, but it's got to be done in a way that makes it um, so that the legislators aren't just looking at today. Um, because as soon as you pass a law that's focused specifically on something today, it's not going to be useful in the future, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think if you look at a lot of regulation in general, you know, oftentimes it's, you know, reactive, you know, almost sort of a lagging indicator, if you will, yep. and things things evolve quickly, and then you need to make, you know, adjustments to that. So um, definitely appreciate that. And, you know, we're, we're about out of time, Randy, I guess, you know, and in conclusion, if you had sort of a, a parting thought, really for our, our broader audience here, to what they can do to navigate the the legal and compliance environment, what would what would it be as a as a final thought? Um. So I guess I'm a, a Rush fan, um, and they they had a song years ago that had a line. It was actually adapted from a French philosopher. It was "Plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose." Um, it means the more that things change, the more that they stay the same. And I, it's, it's, that's kind of what I was hinting at in a couple of the earlier questions. The problems we're looking at today are not, oh my gosh, this is a brand new technology or brand, I mean, in some cases, it's a new security attack. But if companies focus on that basic blocking and tackling, which would have been the same thing they should have been doing 10 years ago, they're going to be in a really good position and make it that much harder for the attacker to get in. And then I, I would say the second thing, um, in, in the words of Ronald Reagan, you know, the trust but verify concept. I think there are a lot of companies out there that get lulled into a sense of, of you know, security, not in the security sense, but yeah, it's okay to use this technology or this service provider or whatever. Um, but going back to the idea of the, you know, uh, looking at them in advance with some sort of questionnaire and and doing that diligence, you know, trust them, but verify that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing from a security perspective. Those would be my two quick uh, uh, wind up thoughts. I, I love it. And, you know, uh, any episode that we can end with a, a Reagan and a Rush 
um, kind of tie-in. <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of so, um, but all kidding aside, I, you know, I think this is definitely an evolving landscape and clearly sort of compliance and, and lawmaking and kind of what's been going on in the legal space plays a huge role in terms of how to mitigate um, cyber going forward. But, but you're right. I mean, a lot, a lot of, a lot of the um, kind of way to navigate the space existed to your point 10, 15 years ago. So um, to that end, and that's why it's now everyone's business. And I think that's been right. kind of the, the nexus of, of this whole series for our listeners out there is, um, you know, this is now a, you know, a big enough deal from a global standpoint to, to kind of move forward on that front. So really appreciate the time though, Randy, and, and sharing your, your insights and, and experience. And, and thanks again for, for coming back on Cyber Insiders. Great to be back, Kevin. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you again, Randy. And uh, thank you to all our listeners out there. That, that wraps things up on our end. Um, this is Kevin Danino signing off. Um, with one quick tie-in, thank you again. Please do check out CCOE's website at sdccoe.org for more resources. Um, and stay tuned for future episodes where we'll be talking through what's been going on in the ever-evolving banking and communications landscape. So um, once again, Kevin Danino signing off. Thank you again.